We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. 7970. The following program is sponsored Know That Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, we're celebrating God's love that enables us to love others. As you and I experience God's love, and we live that love, and we enjoy that love, and we reflect on that love, when we live loved, we will be able to love others. Because our love for others, our ability to love others selflessly and sacrificially and steadfastly, it's a ricochet, it's a reflection of God's love for us. is all we need. Love makes the world go round. Love will keep us together. These are the refrains of songs we know and love. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. It is Valentine's Day, and we're studying a beautiful love sonnet found in 1 John chapter 4. We're discovering that divine love is the source of all love, and it's God's love that transforms our efforts to love one another. Now let's join Philip for his message titled, To Love and Be Loved. I like the story of the two hunters that were working their way through some woods and they come out into this open space and they were confronted by a huge hole in the ground. As they peered into it, they wondered how deep it was. It looked to be like a bottomless pit. And one said to the other, I I wonder how deep it really is. And the other said, well, you know what? We should get something, throw it down and we'll wait to see how long it takes for it hits the bottom. One said, funny, I just saw an old engine transmission there in the woods. So he goes in, grabs the engine transmission, brings it out, and together they throw it down in the hole. And while they're peering over the hole and listening for it hitting the bottom, all of a sudden there's a rustling behind them. And this goat comes running out through the hedges and the brush and goes headlong into the big hole. And they're just standing astonished. And while they they haven't come to any conclusion yet as to what that was all about, A farmer turns up and he asks him, you know what, guys, I've lost my goat. Have you seen one? The guy says, well, funny you should mention that. He said, there was a goat just combining out of the woods there and just jumped straight into the hole in the ground. Probably your goat. The farmer said, oh, no, no, that couldn't be my goat. My goat was chained to a transmission. (laughs) Well, our illustration illustrates this fact. That when two things are tied together, the one usually follows the other. And I'm going to suggest that if you study God's Word, you're going to find that God ties things together. That He expects one thing to follow another thing. And when you and I discover that, we need to understand that what God has joined, let us not separate. 
And so as I was thinking about some of the things that God ties together, some of the things that God joins together, what he expects one thing to follow another, I thought about the fact that in the Bible, you'll see that works follow faith. Those two things are tied together. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we come into union with the Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ begins to produce fruit in us. There's a changed life. Works follow faith. For by grace are we saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're not saved by works, but we're saved unto works. And if your life doesn't produce fruit, if there's no transformation, there's no works, then you might wonder whether you're saved at all. That's James' argument, isn't it? Your faith may be dead because living faith produces works. It shows up in the way one behaves and acts. God has tied works to follow faith. God has tied baptism to follow belief. The one will follow the other. You go to the book of Acts, and anytime we meet someone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing they do, one thing following the other, is they get baptized. Because I agree with F.F. Bruce. He said that the New Testament does not countenance an unbaptized believer. The New Testament doesn't know the category of a Christian who's not baptized who hasn't publicly identified with Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. Study your Bible. Works follow faith. Baptism follows belief. Coming to church follows coming to Christ. Because you see, when you and I put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, we are baptized by one spirit into the one body of Jesus Christ, and we will identify with his people. You can't love Jesus and not love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves the church. That's why you'll not find any isolated Christians in the New Testament. Paul writes to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Ephesus, to the church in Corinth. Remember what Ruth said? Your God will be my God and your people my people. If you take God as your father, you'll take the church as your mother. Faith will be followed by works. Belief will be followed by baptism. Coming to Christ will be followed by coming to the church. And experiencing God's love will lead to you expressing God's love. The one will follow the other. This is John's argument in the passage we're about to look at. When we experience God's love, we will express God's love. Look at verse 7 of 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you say you have come to know God and his love, what will follow is you'll be more loving. A more loving husband to your wife, a more loving wife to your husband and to your children, a more loving neighbor to your neighbor. In fact, that love will extend to an ability to love those who would harm and hurt you. See, John argues here that God's love for us, expressed in Jesus Christ, it is that love that gives substance, shape, and strength to our love for one another. The best of relationships and the strongest of marriages are simply a reflection of divine love. I want you to go to verse 19 of 1 John 4. We love him because he first loved us. 
In fact, this can be rendered like this. We love because God loves. And that shows us what I've been talking about. God joins certain things. Certain things are tied together. Certain things will naturally follow other things. And John's dealing with that here. We love because he loved us. You see, our love for one another ought to be a reflection and a ricochet of God's love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The one will follow the other. The one will produce the other. In fact, if you go back to John's Gospel in chapter 13, you know the famous words in verse 34 and 35 where Jesus gives us the badge of discipleship. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. The one will follow the other. The one will produce the other. What God has joined, let no man pull asunder. God's love is the source of our love. Listen to what David Jeremiah says in his book, God loves you, always has, always will. Just as the sun is our only source of daylight, God is our only source of love. Sun rays reflect from all objects. They strike, permeating the earth with light and making it possible to see. In a similar way, God's love enters the world and reflects off our hearts, off our lives, making it possible for us to love Him and love others. We have no innate capacity, no self-originating store of love to give. We can only give what we have received from Him. Well, let me quote someone else since I quoted David Jeremiah. And I think this is so significant and so seminal because you see, John's going to make an argument, which we'll get into here in a moment, that God's love for us in Christ is the model and motivation of our love. We love because he loved us first. That's why Max Licato said something that is simply profound and profoundly simple. This is something you've got to write down. The secret of loving is living loved. That's what 1 John 7 through 19 is teaching us. The secret to loving is living loved. What's his point? As you and I experience God's love, we grow in our knowledge of it, in our experience of it, and we live that love and we enjoy that love and we reflect on that love. When we live loved, we will be able to love others. Because our love for others, our ability to love others selflessly and sacrificially and steadfastly, it's a ricochet, it's a reflection of God's love for us. We love because He loved us first. The secret of loving is living loved. You see, love begins not with giving. Love begins with receiving. Love doesn't begin with you serving. Love begins with you being served. Once you come to faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God is shed abroad on your heart and the love of God comes with the Spirit of God, once you receive that love and once God ministers to you through that love, it's only then will you be able to truly love others because the source of loving and the secret to loving is living loved. Just as a tree through its roots draws sustenance and strength from the soil, our love that we want to express to our husband or our wife or our child or our neighbor or that difficult person in the office or that sibling we haven't talked to or hasn't talked to us in a while, it's the love 
that we draw from in the gospel and in Christ and in God. It is that love that nourishes our love. Our love is rooted in that love. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians three seventeen to 19? Rooted and grounded in love. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at three aspects about God's love that John talks about here. We're going to see how God has loved us, the manner in which he has loved us, and then that will have implications. It is that love that will inform and transform our ability to love others. We want to love others more, don't we? Of course we do. We know we fall short of our best intentions. We certainly fall short of God's glory. But this passage will, I think, help us to fulfill what Paul prayed for the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, that the Lord may make you to increase and abound in love. Only he can do that. Because when a man is a stranger to God, he's a stranger to love. Because love is of God, and God is love. So let's look at three things here as we kind of tease out this idea to love and be loved. The first thing I want us to notice about God's love, it's a sovereign love. It's a sovereign love. Let's go to verses 7 and verse 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Love is from God. Love is sourced in God. He's the antecedent. He's the fountainhead. God must define our love because he's the source of it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. And notice this phrase, for God is love. And that phrase supplies us the answer to the question, why does God love us? Was there something about us? Did we do something to merit it? Is there something about us that attracts it and makes an appeal to it? Well, clearly not. John wants us to be aware that the love that we enjoy from God is a sovereign love. It's a love that he has sovereignly and freely directed toward us because the reason God loves us is because God is love, okay? We don't love God naturally, and we don't know God naturally. If we're to know him, he has to reveal himself. And if we're to love him, we must first experience his love. And that love comes freely and sovereignly because God is love. God is the reason for God's love towards you and me. It's not anything I am. It's everything he is. And that's why we need to be lost in wonder, love, and praise because this love we enjoy is undeserved. It's ours freely and sovereignly. God has deemed and decided to set his love on us. And the reason is He's love. Because we love our sin and we love ourselves, we don't love Him. There's nothing lovely about us, nothing lovable about us. But God loves us because it's in His nature to love. As it's the nature of the sun to shine, it is the nature of God to love. See, this text isn't saying that God is loving. He is loving, but He's more than that. I can be patient, but it doesn't mean I'm patience. God is loving, yes, but he's more than that. He's love itself in his essence and nature. It doesn't say that God loves us sometimes. This is something God is all the time. It's who he is. He can't stop being what he is. God is love. 
It means that he loves not because he finds the object worthy of his love, but because it's his nature to love. His love doesn't meet us in the middle where his love is drawn to something that appeals to that love in us. No, it comes all from him to us. It's one directional and one dimensional because it's his nature to love. And here's the beauty of this. His love doesn't depend on what we are, but what he is. He loves us because he is that kind of God. And that's a wonderful thing to know. See, love isn't something that God does, simply. Love is something God is. See, you and I can do something without liking it. I mow the lawn, but I don't like it. Something I do, but it's not something I am. Gardening's not my thing. And June will tell you neither is doing dishes, vacuuming, making beds, or cooking in the kitchen. There's things we do because we have to do them. But because we do them, doesn't mean we like doing them. It's just something we did. That's something we liked. And I want you to think about that because John is saying love isn't just something God does. Love is something God is. He not only does it, but he likes to do it. It's natural. It's spontaneous. And that's a wonderful truth. And it needs to undergird our sense of security and our understanding of the gospel. God doesn't love me anymore because I'm good, and God doesn't love me any less because I'm bad. God loves me because God is love. And on that I can count. And on that I can hang my hope for heaven. And on that I can get up every day and build something of a life, even though change happens all around me. Because what was isn't and what is mightn't be, but God is. And He's love. And in eternity past, in the counsels of his own wisdom, he sovereignly set his love on you and me because he's love. And that's a wonderful thing. Listen to Max Licato again. Our love depends on the receiver of the love. Let a thousand people pass before us and we will not feel the same about each. Our love will be regulated by their appearance, by their personalities. Even when we find a few people we like, our feelings will fluctuate. How they treat us will affect how we love them. The receiver regulates our love. Not so with the love of God. We have no thermostatic impact on His love for us. The love of God is born from within him, not from what he finds in us. His love is uncaused and spontaneous. Charles Wesley said, he hath loved us, he hath loved us because he would love. That's a wonderful thing. See, our love is regulated by the person we decide to love. There's an element of reciprocity in it. It's often, it's often transactional. Well, I love you because you love me. I'll like you because you like me. I'll give you this if you give me that. If you don't give me that, I'm not going to give you this. That's the point that he's making. But God's love for us isn't like that. God finds a love for us within himself. That's the cause of his love for us, his love for us. And that's a wonderful thing. It's sovereign and it's free and it's spontaneous. And it's tied to his nature, not our behavior. Second thing about his love, and remember we're building an argument up here because the secret to loving is living loved. 
So when we've seen how God loves us, it's kind of going to come with a bit of a wallop in that this is the way you're going to have to love someone else. So what's the second thing John tells us about this love? It's supreme. It's not only a sovereign love, it's a supreme love. Because you see, there's nothing small about God, amen? The heavens can contain him, says Solomon. David says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His ways are unsearchable. God can't be measured, limited, fitted into our finite understanding. There's nothing small about God. And listen, that means there's nothing small about his love because God is love. And you know what? John goes on to tell us how supreme and without limit this love is for us because we read in verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested. You want to see what it looks like? You want to measure it? You want to weigh it? You want to get an understanding of it? Then here it is. God sent His only begotten Son into the world. His one and only Son. His one-of-a-kind Son. This is a love that's incomparable. It's a one-of-a-kind. It's supreme. Because God has delivered up His own Son, spurred not His own Son, and therefore with Him will He not freely give us all things? Why won't God give us all the gifts we need since He's given us the one supreme incomparable gift, His Son, and He's given us Himself because the Father and the Son share the same nature. They are equal. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus was the Word who was God and was with God. And so when God sends His Son, He's given Himself. He's given of heaven's best for earth's worst. When you begin to grasp this, you realize, hey, this love that God has for me isn't just sovereign, it's supreme. And I think John gets that. And he often gets lost in wonder, love, and praise. As he writes, he'll often put his pen down because there is this breathtaking reality that's taken hold of him, like chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we, that we should be called the sons of God. Who's the we? The we of verse 10 of chapter 4. The we who didn't love God. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's amazing. We raised our clenched fist towards heaven. We've broken God's law. We've fallen short of his glory. We have taken his gifts and spent them on our own selves. We've prostituted all of God's kindnesses. Yet God loves us. Isn't that an amazing thing? A message about the greatest love of all from Philip DeCourcy on the daily Bible teaching program, Know the Truth. Hear this message again when you visit us online at ktt.org or order the CD when you call 888-644-8811. Again, the message is titled, To Love and Be Loved. As Philip reminded us, we love because God first loved us. And love is what motivates us to share that truth with others. Now, it's no exaggeration that Know the Truth wouldn't be here without you. It's the financial support of faithful listeners like you that makes it possible for us to share the gospel with others through the bold and convicting Bible teaching of Philip DeCourcy. And today, we hope you'll stand with us by making a generous donation to keep Know the Truth coming to you and others in your community. When you give today, we'll send you Philip's newest book, addressing an all-too-common problem in our culture today. 
Anxiety plagues students, business people, mothers and fathers, pastors, and retirees. So Philip wrote a book that faces the issue with the truth of Scripture. The book is called Help, I'm Anxious. No, Philip isn't just telling you to stop your worrying. He's given you specific biblical guidelines to calm our nerves by claiming God's peace. Request the book, Help, I'm Anxious, when you make a generous donation of $25 or more to know the truth. Call right now, 888-644-8811, or go to ktt.org. And when you visit our website, be sure to let us know how this ministry is impacting your walk with Christ. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we'd also like to send you a free CD message from Philip titled, Handling the Pressure. It's another practical resource you can request at ktt.org. Again, that's ktt.org. That's all our time for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Learn more about God's amazing love when you join us Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. We all know the stories about space aliens and a place called Roswell, right? That's what the creators of the CW show Roswell, New Mexico hope anyway. The CW never met a monster. It didn't try to turn into a teenage heartthrob. And that goes double for handsome space alien. But that doesn't make this simply a cute romantic drama. It's much too salacious for that. This is probably a bad idea. I thought we were ignoring that in favor of the whole sex thing. Sex is the show's currency, and the characters spend and flaunt it with abandon. Roswell, New Mexico, and the CW feel like a perfect fit for each other, but a perfect fit for the family? <laughs> Not so much. See the full review at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell.